Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life, plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and today we have our first ever international episode, technically, I think, up to my knowledge. Let's see. Today we have on Agent Emilio Salaturo, who is an agent at Lucas Talent in Vancouver. He really breaks down so many questions you guys had about the business in the U.S. versus Canada. And we get right into it at the top of the episode, so make sure you listen the whole way through. Emilio is also a trained actor himself, and he talks about transitioning to agenting and how that affected his decision-making as an actor. It also changed what he looks for in clients and how he discerns working actors versus actors who might not want it as much. Emilio has so many stories about the way way he views an actor's career, and he shares such good tidbits and what he sees as through lines for really successful actors on his roster. He also talks about placing actors with other agents when it's just not working. He even breaks down how to send an appropriate agent email and how to network with agents, which I know you guys always appreciate. We talk a little bit about the current writer's strike and how it's potentially going to affect actors in Canada and how you as a U.S. or Canadian actor can work in either or country. So I think you guys are going to learn a lot from this episode. I definitely did. I think it's really interesting that Canada calls actors actor roles or principal roles and not the co-star, guest star, series reg like we do. Very interesting stuff. Some little tidbits to take on your journey with you. Emilio has a really great story too he shares with us and how his adventures led him to be the agent he is now. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy Emilio Salaturo. Emilio, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You are actually my first international agent. Ooh. International. It's so funny that you say international because I would never think of Canada as international. But yeah, I guess if you're from the U.S., I'm from Canada, we would be talking internationally. Yeah, technically. I cannot yeah. work in your country without proper paperwork. That's how I feel like it qualifies as international. True, true. The same way your way. Actually, our Canadian government is easier for you to book a gig up here and come up on a one-day work permit than it is for us to go down there. Okay, let's start with that juicy topic because we're going to get a lot of actors who are going to hear this podcast and think like, oh, he's so great. I'm going to submit my stuff, except they live in Los Angeles or Atlanta or wherever. Will you explain the process of working in Canada, especially as a local hire? Yes. Okay. So this is the thing. I always get submissions from actors in LA or in the US saying, hey, I really want a Vancouver agent. Will you take me on? The first two questions I ask are, are you a Canadian citizen? And two, are you a BC taxpayer? Do you pay taxes in the province of British Columbia? Not just in Canada, but in the province of British Columbia. So there's two reasons why we say, no, we can't. Because yes, an American can come up here and work, but we can't get them an audition with a local casting director up here. Local casting directors hire local actors where every big project, American project that's up here, especially TV series, has an American casting director attached to it. So that's how they can get the American 
guest stars, leads, series regulars up here to work. If it's a series regular or if it's a guest star, they will get a permit for that job to come up here and work as a guest star. They have to prove to the government that they can't find a Canadian that has the entertainment quotient, the star meter, that kind of I would stuff. love to read some of those papers that they have to file to be like, we can't find this here. We looked. <laughs> Yeah. Mind you, I did have one actor that came down. He was Canadian, not American. And he was in the pilot of Boardwalk Empire. They ended up emailing and he still has his letter from Martin Scorsese at home saying, I searched all of the U.S. and I couldn't find someone like this actor to play the role of this character. And I would really need to bring this character in from Canada. It's signed Martin Scorsese. So like, he, he won't give that up. Like he's, he's got, I, I'm shocked he doesn't have it framed. I think he has it locked up in a, in a safety deposit box. So. Yeah, I'd for sure frame that. You said it's easier to work in Canada as an American than it is to work in America as a Canadian? Yes. And I think that all has to do where you have a star system where we don't have a star system. Say I'm a producer. It's easier to prove that I need this actor to come up and play this guest star because there's nobody in Canada that has his following. And the productions up here will budget for that. But that's only for really big guest stars and series leads or series regulars. Anything below that, principal or actor. Now, when we say principal, that means anything over six lines. Yeah, because you guys have a different naming system than us, too. Yes, yes, yes. It's so confusing. Why is it? Do you know why you have a different naming system for roles than we do? I think it has to do with our rates. I really do. Like We have actor or six lines and under, and then principal is six lines and over. You can get guest star billing, but it's still considered just a bigger principle. If it's guest star billing, that means are you billed with the guest stars rather than at the end under co-stars? So you can have a principal role, get paid as a principal, and still be put in the co-starring at the end credits. Wow. That sounds like a lot for the Canadian Union to deal with. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we don't have a rate for guest stars. That's negotiable. We have to negotiate for guest stars. That's kind of nice for you as an agent to get that ability to negotiate. Because I will say that maybe it feels similar for you, but here it feels as though SAG scale is so much more... It feels like the negotiating power, unless you are a star in some capacity, is kind of taken out of the equation these days. We have that issue too. It's hard for us to bump our actors up. But... It happens. We know which shows we can push on it, where there's some shows we can't, and how many credits this actor has to have before we can go for another push, before we can go for that. But there's also a lot of projects here that are just budgeted at scale. It's like number one, number two, number three, and then the rest are all budgeted at scale. Okay. And do you feel as though the pay rate between the U.S. and Canada, I know our dollars fluctuate of what's equal to each other. Do you feel like it's similar? When we're getting to episodics, like series regulars, yes, I believe it's similar. When we get into day players, principal roles, actor roles, honestly, I couldn't tell you because they would never hire a principal or actor role out of the U.S. So I've never really had anybody work as a principal, so I don't even know what that is. We have a different system here. You have a residual system. 
We have a buyout system. Like always. For all American TV shows, yes. You don't get residuals. You get bought out at 100%, 105%, 110%, 135% if it's a feature. So depending on the budget and the project, say you make $1,000 on set, you're getting paid $1,000 each day on set. You won't get any residuals for that. You'll get a buyout of another 110%. So you'll get another $1,100 on top of that. So you'll make $2,100 for that day. But then the producer or the production company can use that image of you in that episode for up to five years without having to pay a residual. Even though it's an American show? Yes. What? Yes. It's always greener on the other side, but yes, we have that issue. And it's totally different when you start getting into series regular stuff, because then part of it goes against certain part of residuals and it, it, that's a little bit more confusing but that's what they do now there are sometimes some productions that like lower budget they'll have a 75 percent buyout and then the bigger feature films will have 135 percent buyouts instead of like a points on the back end style system that we have here sometimes exactly. interesting and then after the five years if it's still playing somewhere or the producer production company still making money then you start seeing some residuals coming. Okay, so then it does go to a residual. Yes, but unless it's a really popular show, you might not see anything. I used to be an actor, and I still get a residual check for one of the shows I did up here. And it's literally like $2.50 that comes in maybe once a <laughs> yes. year. It's like, what are you even yeah. doing with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, send me the stamps. I would prefer it. Yeah. <laughs> that is so interesting because just to know how many different systems are at play because our markets cross over so often, having this awareness, I think is so important for actors. And so many actors that I know are also dual citizens. So Helena Santos, a very, very popular friend of the podcast for a while. We were together every single month and she is one of your clients and she is a dual citizen. Does that benefit the actor if they obviously having more opportunity is lovely, but the dual citizenship, is that something that often works in the favor? Totally. Totally. Dual citizen is great, especially if you're a Canadian actor or even if you're an American actor. They do have a tax break for hiring Canadian actors. It's not as big as the provincial tax break. What's the provincial tax break? Okay, so I don't know if your listeners know province and country. Our province is like your state. I don't know how it works in the U.S., but if each state has different tax breaks for shooting. Yes, okay. indeed. So we have the same thing for each province here. And usually... We know by looking at a breakdown, which role is budgeted for a local hire. It's funny because when I get actors from LA coming up and sending me applications, they're saying, hey, I can work as a local hire. I've got a brother-in-law that lives there. Or I've got uh, friends that I can stay on their, their couch. And I'm like, no, you cannot work as a local hire because you do not file taxes in the province of BC. The production company won't get that tax break or that money back for hiring you as a local BC person. So that's why usually after the number one, two, or three on a movie of the week, or number one and two of a movie of the week, or after the series regulars and big guest stars, the rest will all have to be localized. So they can get that money back. I think that is to it where a disconnect comes in because here there's a lot of actors who have a friend or a relative who lives in. So for example, I just auditioned for a movie that is 
very weirdly shooting in my parents' town of Louisville, Kentucky. Not a lot of movies shot there that I know of, but I just auditioned for it because I can be a local hire because my parents live there. So I have a place to stay, to put myself up. I have a vehicle to use all of that stuff that would be a problem if I wasn't a local hire. And that's kind of where that disconnect comes in because us, a lot of times you can get away with being a local hire because you're just willing to pay for yourself to get to set essentially, or you have an address you can use. Whereas yours is a little more, this is where we say the word international. This is where it matters more. That's right. And we've negotiated deals where we say, okay, well, this guy, you fly him up and he'll stay here. He'll find a place to stay or he can live with this person, but you have to pay him this or he doesn't pay BC local taxes. So you have to pay for his accommodations while he's here. So they know that. And each role that they have, they haven't budgeted, right? So no matter how much they like you, it's really down to the dollar for them. And they need to bring people in that will fit within their budget. And I think it's important to emphasize, too, that that happens so that local actors are able to work. Like there's a reason that these systems were put into place so local communities can make money and feed it back into their own economy. Yeah. And when I say that they only bring in their series regulars and their guest stars from out of country, there's many times where they'll hire local. If someone comes in, they do a great job with their audition. I've seen it happen where local actors get series regulars, big guest stars. The guest stars happens all the time. And the series regulars, they can save money because now it's a series regular role that hires a local person. So it's that much more money that they're paying the actor and they get the tax break on that. I have a a friend who was also a showrunner on the podcast who did the whole Are You Afraid of the Dark series in Canada. Yes. Yes. I love that episode, actually. I loved your part. I listened to that on the treadmill. Oh, uh We love love a treadmill podcast. And he was talking about finding all of his actors locally. And it turned out to be awesome because there is so much production in Canada, especially for his point. The kids he got in Canada had been exposed to the business so much already. There's so much going on. Do you feel like Canada's market's been really blossoming since you became an agent? I think it's been blossoming a lot since the 90s, actually, even before I became an agent. The last few years has gone great. We have some of the best teachers training facilities in the world up here in Canada. I would say we're a little bit different, though. I think America has its own style of acting, which we all try to do up here. But we also are very influenced by English, English style of acting, the traditional classically trained actors. So we kind of come from there where Americans are kind of more from, I hate to say contemporary because I think it's classical too, but the method or Strasbourg and all those stuff, the finding the naturalism where we find the naturalism through a classical approach. That being said, everything is kind of melding into one style nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, because if you look at the content that's, you know, getting picked up on the streamers, it's oftentimes from different markets, right? So Schitt's Creek is a Canadian show. It was huge here, right? Huge following. And it has a mix of that acting style, which now that you say that, it makes me think of the show Letterkenny and how BBC-esque 
that comedy was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you can see it too with like Canadian projects. How, oh, this is kind of reminds me of a BBC show. Except we say about a boot. What, what, what do we say up here? You're a asking boot? the wrong girl. I don't know. What I don't know. What we think you guys are so great. <laughs> they always make fun of us. Oh, you guys talk so funny. Yeah, I don't know. Regional, everyone's got their own little dialect <laughs> in some capacity. Yeah. You said you started as yeah. an actor. So how did you, starting as an actor and transitioning to agenting, Talk to me about that point in your life. That was interesting. You know, I started as an acting student, like many of us. And I trained and classically trained conservatory programs for about six years. I lied to my parents that I was going to be an acting teacher, a drama teacher. Wait, I did the same thing in college. I was like, I'll just teach this. And then I was like, I don't yeah, want to yeah, teach yeah. it. Exactly. That's exactly how I said, oh, I'm going to be a drama teacher. And I got to say, it was one of my drama teachers in high school that inspired me because I remember he was a great drama teacher. And then I remember seeing him on TV and I was like, oh my gosh, he's got the best of both worlds. But I realized I love teaching, but I didn't want to go through that whole drama school education program kind of thing. So I ended up doing the training program those two years in a college. Then what we have is colleges and then universities up here, which a university would be the same as your big colleges. And colleges here would be like community colleges where you get the credits before you go to the big college. Do you guys have that? Oh, uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I did two years at one college. Then I did one year at a university. And I loved the program there, but it was a little contemporary for me. And I was looking for more of a classical approach. And then I went to University of British Columbia and trained there for three years. So I had six years. So there was a running joke that I was in second year for three years. Acting was acting. You couldn't take these credits and go into the next year. So I did that for a little while. I was very burned out after six years of voice, movement, acting, scene study, on camera, theater history, all that kind of stuff. So I took a couple years off and I was lucky I made some smart investments when I was younger. And I opened up an Italian restaurant in Burnaby. So I did this restaurant thing. Everybody laughs because there's waiters who want to be actors. I was an actor who wanted to be a waiter. But like, this feels so right. Like I could see you, like your office is your office, but it could also be like the back of like a cool Italian restaurant right now. Like this is fitting for our podcast. Well, I thought, you know, I'll get this restaurant business going and then I can set it up. And once it's set up and running on its own, I can get into acting and not have to worry about where my next because <laughs> you know the restaurant business is super easy oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh it was seven years i must have aged 20 years in that seven years that i had a restaurant and i'll tell you the funny thing was i was never able to get my acting career or the restaurant career to that next level they all stayed at that medium level what do you think it was I think I was just too undivided. I couldn't concentrate on just one thing. And even though I was always in scene study class or voice class or on-camera audition classes, I always had to be at the restaurant as well. I never turned down an audition. I never did any of that kind of stuff. But I was just not concentrating enough on my art and concentrating enough on my craft to make that acting career get to the next level. So... After about seven years, there was a short hiatus where I I moved to Shanghai for a couple of years, ran a restaurant out there. Then one day, don't I meet the producer of a Merchant Ivory film? And I can't even remember what it was called. I think at that time it was called like Shanghai Taxi Stand or something like that. It was a period piece. 
And he goes, oh, you're uh, from uh, Canada. You ever do any acting? And I said, well, actually, yeah. I did this, 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 and that. Went to my apartment, grabbed my headshots. No, I, I didn't bring my headshots with me. But as an actor, and this, I'm going to tell your, your people, you have your head, your resumes and headshots. I don't care if everything is done online right now. You never leave home without a headshot and resume because you never know when somebody will ask for it. I used to carry oh my it in my car. I had it in the office of my restaurant. I had them in my car. I had them at home. I, I had them in the office. I, I didn't I care. I haven't printed a headshot in, I think, four years at this well, point. You should. Uh, well, right now it's different. I, I, I haven't been an actor for a while, but still, you never know if someone's going to ask you for your information. I do love a, a complete email draft that, like, I can just copy and paste from a note. That's like a link to my actor's access. That's like all of our stuff. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Equivalent. <laughs> I ended up getting a supporting role in this film, and they offered it to me, and I didn't feel right taking it. Because I was down in China, living in this guy's apartment that he was paying for. He was paying for me to run the restaurant. And for me to go take six weeks off to do this film, I think would have been a bit of a slap in the face. Or it would have been disrespect. So I turned it down. But what it made me realize was that I really missed the industry. I loved going into the room and doing the audition talking to the producers, talking about character and all that kind of stuff. After two years, I said, it's time for me to go back. I ended up coming back and I was like, went to my agent and I said, hey, you know, I've been out of the industry for a couple of years. Why don't you just hire me as your as an agent in your office? I think I could do really well. And she laughed at me. She goes, Emilio, no, forget about it. Just stay as an actor. You'll love it. Be an actor. And because I saved some money and I, I wasn't paying for anything out there while I was living in Shanghai, I didn't have to get a day job right away. And this is what I realized. She said, stay as an actor. So for two years, I didn't have a day job. And my whole life was surrounded by acting. I was auditioning. I was in classes. I was coaching actors. I was working at a little acting studio. I produced some theater, produced some short films that I got to act in as well. A few short films I didn't act in. So everything was evolving around my craft, revolving around the career of acting. And I started booking things. And I would book a commercial. And then I'd book a play. Then I'd book a TV show. So for two years, I made a living just acting. And everything was acting related. Was it a good living? It was enough to pay the bills and get by. But was it getting me to a retirement age and having a little bit of fun? No, it was still a grind. So at the end of this two years, my agent came up to me and said, Emilio, um, you know how you wanted to be an agent a couple of years ago? I said, yeah. Having an issue with somebody in my office, I actually need to let him go, but I don't want to let his roster go. Would you be interested in taking over his roster? It's really good. And I was like, okay, well, let me look at it. And honestly, it was okay. The people that were on the roster at that time, I didn't know any of them. So I came in with a roster, a small little roster. I made some changes. People heard I was an agent that I'd worked with in the past, so they came on board with me. Within the first three months of being an agent, I brought in more commissions than the agents that I replaced did for the whole year prior to me. Wow. In six months, I was already the highest grossing agent in that office. Do you think it was because you're so saturated in the business at that point? Well, I think I had a really easy learning curve because I knew everybody. 
I knew all the casting directors. All the casting directors had hired me at one time or another. I was in all their rooms, so they trusted that I was able to do the work. And I also had high standards for my actors. I knew what it took to be a working actor, and I expected them to learn that and do that as well. But I also changed my way of thinking. And that I talked to a lot of friends of mine, casting directors, actors, acting teachers, before I became an agent, and they all told me not to do it. And I was like, mm, I don't know, I think this could be something I want to do. I had lost my father a few years prior to that. I learned this lesson of we and family and how my dad's brothers and sisters all came to help support him while he was ill and how I was always helping support him. Sometimes when we work as an actor, we have this thing about me. Do I get enough auditions? Did I do the right thing? Did I do this? So it's a lot of me, 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 me. And I really wanted to move into the world of we. Being an agent made me do that. I love working with people. I love actors. I love the passion that they have. I can sit down and talk to actors about acting techniques and about plays and about movies and stuff like that. I just yeah. enjoy the shit out of it. But I really wanted to work with people. That's why I love producing theater. That's why I love doing theater. It was all yeah. very collaborative. And my best experiences on set were when we were all equals and there was everybody was just there to do the right thing and do the best that they can do and not worry about, is my trailer too big? Is my trailer too small? Are they calling me in too early? It was all about, let's just do the best job we have to. And if I have to get dressed, blanket wrapped around me, I will. And those were my best experiences as an actor. Now, that being said... I love getting my actors right, for right, their accommodations right. on set. <laughs> I love, but there's some projects that you, you can't do. So I, I just really learned about the we thing. Was there a part of you that struggled with the idea of giving up your personal acting career when you shifted into agenting? Was that a conversation you ever had to have with yourself? I had to have that with myself. And it actually has come up, it came up a few times after that where some of the casting directors would call me up and say, hey, Emilio, I know you're an agent now, but would you take this role uh, just straight to offer? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do it. And, and, and I'll tell you why. What actors do is very hard, and it has to be respected. And I respect the shit out of actors that can do a great job. For someone just to get like me who doesn't is not in class anymore or to get a role it, it, it just it, it it doesn't make sense for me and and for i was a good actor but i was never a great actor and when i had to be great i really had to work really really hard to do that and there's so many other people out there that are better at acting than i am and i think that's why i decided to move into being an agent as well see i know i can be a great agent I was very unsure if I could be a great actor all the time consistently. That is so interesting. Yeah. That is so interesting. You really have to take your ego out of it. Even, even when you're acting, you take your ego out of, uh, out of it, right? So that's the way I approach being an agent. And I used to say to myself, I said, what were the things my agent did that used to get me upset or that I didn't like? And I'm like, okay, now I know not to do that. Yeah, right? yeah. What are the things that my agent do that I used to love? 
great. Now I know to do that. Yes. So that's how I approach. That's how I approach my clients. That's how I approach my career as an agent. I want the agent that I was would have loved to have when I was an actor. I, I tell people I'm a great agent for some people and I'm a bad agent for some people. And they say, oh, why is that? I was like, because I was an actor and I know the seat you're sitting in. So I can really appreciate what you're going through. But I can be a bad agent too because I was an actor and I know the seat you're sitting in. So I know what needs to be done for you to get through to that next level. And if you're not willing to do it, I really don't have the patience to stick with you in this journey. So on the topic of clients that are working for you in that cohesive environment, what are some through lines you see with actors who are good clients? And that doesn't just mean they're booking, but are good clients. Okay. The actors that I find that are good clients are the ones that know how to communicate. They're the ones that communicate with me in an honest approach. I tell people, don't lie. Don't ever lie to your agent. Because if I have to, I'll lie for you. Trust me. I am your first line of defense. I will take the bullet if I have to. Don't lie to me. Let me know what the real story is. And then I'll deal with it. If I see that the real story is a hindrance in the future, then we're going to talk about it. But it doesn't happen all the time. So I want actors to really be able to communicate with me. I want actors to work hard. I want them to keep training and be in class because actors are never going to learn everything there is about this industry, about the craft, about the art. They're going to keep expanding themselves. They're going to keep growing. And so an actor that can appreciate that and know how important that is really bodes well in my eyes. I don't care if my actors book. I just want them to audition and do the best job that they do every time. So they also have to have a little bit of confidence, a lot of confidence, but make sure that that confidence doesn't move into arrogance because there's that very fine line. I want them to be really sure of what they do. If you're unsure of what you do, and, and it's, it's little things where they'll call me up and say, hey, I've got these two takes. I'm not sure which take to send to casting for this audition. And then I'll watch them, and they're really not that different at all. You know you know the character better than I do. You've got the whole script. You've got the sides. You've got the breakdown. I haven't read the sides yet or the script. You, you should be able to make a decision on which one felt better to you. What's the story you want to tell? Also, actors that know that story is kick. Story is so important. And those actors that can analyze story and find relationships – and find that moment before in their auditions. It's just, it takes you to that next level. And I just love them being passionate about what they, what they do. I tell this to all my clients. Make acting your first priority. Don't make it your life. Ooh, please tell me more. Everything should be surrounded by your acting. Like, I had this one actor one day. She had a 16-page audition. And the next day, back in the day when we'd have like one day to get ready and go into the audition room and have to do it. And it was her birthday party that night. She had 30 friends meeting her at a club and she had plans to go there and have a birthday party with them. Next day, this audition comes up. What does she do? She said, oh, that's great. I'm going to go into the club. Thank everybody for coming up. 
let them stay there and I'm going to come home. And she pretty much canceled her birthday celebration so that she could work on her audition. And that's what I mean by it's your first priority. When you become an actor, when you start training as an actor, you're blessed and cursed at the same time because you're now walking down the street and you see something that's interesting. Your actor mind is like, oh, what's the story behind that? I wonder what the story is. Why does he have a limp? Oh, this could be the limp. Oh, okay, watch how he holds his shoulders this way. You know, maybe that could be because when he was younger, he used to get bullied a lot. So he's very protective of his core. Wait, not everyone does this? (laughs) No, they will. They will now. (laughs) Right? And that's making acting your first priority. When you go to a movie, Yes, you can sit back and really enjoy the movie, but now you're cursed never to watch it through the same eyes as a general viewer. You're like, I love that choice. Oh, I love what they did there. Oh, you see how, how they did that? They did that because of this. Oh, I, oh, I did. And yet, I say, when I say I love that choice or they love that choice, it's not that you even see the choice because you don't want to show choices, right? You just need to react truthfully in the moment. So it's like, oh, I love that movie. And this is why I love it. I love that performance. And this is why I love it. Oh my God. My husband and I are so annoying to watch TV with because we'll something say something and I'll be like, wait, pause it. Why did that just work? Oh, how did that work? Like, do you, it was because it was funny is because it was backed up. Like we always have, I'm like, pause it, pause it. What, what about that worked? Why, why, why? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Where like, if I go with a family member or a friend, we can watch a movie. And then I'm like, I, I, after the movie, it's like, oh, I really love that. That was great. And they're like, yeah, that was really good. And I go, I like it because of this. And then the person will look at me and go, oh, yeah, I just thought it was really, really good. <laughs> so, <I was> like, <laughs> so who's really enjoying it more? Am I enjoying it more or are they enjoying it more? It was, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Some yeah. days, sometimes I'm also watching a movie and I'm like, somewhere in this jungle, there's a craft services tent set up <laughs> and they're serving candy. <laughs> like you just know. <laughs> oh, sometimes I'll get to the point where if it's a really a movie that I really like and I've watched it over and over again, I'll shut off the sound and I'll just watch it just to see where, oh, this is where the camera would be in this situation. And this is where it's moving. It. Oh, look at the story it's telling by going like this. It's, it's, it, it occurs. Oh, but that's like what you're saying too is equivalent of free class. Like that is, you know, watching content and actually watching it from this artistic standpoint is, is such a good way to, to learn. Obviously acting, you really learn by doing, but you can still learn so much by watching and absorbing too. Totally. And that's why I tell, I'm always, I get a bit of a red flag when I have People that I interview that come on that are looking for an agent and they say, Oh, I, I don't like classes. I just do coachings for my auditions, which is great that they do coachings or they do private one on ones. And I'm like, Yep, yeah, you know, you learn so much by sitting there and watching other actors go through stuff and you're able to go through your mind and then you get a chance to go up there and implement what you just learned from what they've done and see if it works for you. When I was in class, I was one of those actors that would always try and do my scene first so that I could relax and then just spend the rest of the night just learning from everybody else's mistakes or 
great choices. Yep. I, I used to do that too. I, that was my always first. So I'm not in an ongoing class right now because I wanted to try some different classes. I'm at Groundlings actually taking some upper level improv stuff, which is really exciting to me. I agree with what you're saying. I also, some actors I'm like, we, you don't have to be in class at all times, but you do have to be in community. That is huge to me is that you should be around actors so you can have conversations about this job and the career and you should be learning. So whatever that is for you at this point in time, right? So like in different capacities, but if you're a fan of class, you're a fan of class. Well, even then, like there's times when as an actor, you can't afford to take class. You need to do the day job. But what hurts for you to grab a few friends that are in your acting community and do a play reading night and discuss the show? It's a free class. Find that community. Community is so important. And I think that's what I missed when I was in China. I didn't miss acting. I missed the community and the film industry. And that's why when I moved into being an agent, I still enjoyed this industry just as much as I did, if not more than when I was an actor. I actually enjoy this more because I feel that even more so part of this community. Oh, I love that. I do. I agree. I love being in this, like, it's like a little chaotic and I kind of dig it for some reason. Yeah. yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it's fun. It's fun. And even when it slows down, like, unfortunately, we have this, this writer's strike, possible writer's strike that might be looming over us. I try to switch that out as it being a positive, right? And now nobody wants to go on strike. Nobody wants there to be no work. I, I, I know the writers are being really tough right now, and, and God bless them, they should be. They need to take a firm stand on what's happening. But if we do go on strike and we do, the industry does slow down for a bit, take this as a positive. Take this as a time where you can jump into class. Take this as a time where you can start reading plays, reading books, where you can work on your physicality, jump into yoga class. Yoga class is all about your body and knowing more about your body is, is better, right? Now, me as an agent, yeah, unfortunately, if things aren't shooting, our money starts to dry up and things start to slow down. But I look at that as maybe it's a correction in the market. Every five or six years, we kind of need this little bit of a disruption or a slowdown mm. to get rid of the deadwood. There's a lot of actors that are in town, or I, I assume in LA too, that have taken a weekend workshop and they think, now I'm an actor, I'm going to go out there and start auditioning. They go get an agent that gets them out for these auditions. And then they're just taking up space for these people that this is their life. So I actually look at it as good because it kind of clears that people that want to do this are going to do this no matter what happens, wherever they are. They're going to live through a three-month slowdown. We lived through the pandemic and came back stronger than ever after that happened. And you know what? We lost a few actors in that they decided to go to other jobs. But the people that really wanted to do this as their career, as their living, as their life, made it happen and stuck with it. I had an acting teacher once that spent the first two hours of the first day we met him telling us how bad this industry was. 
how terrible it was on our psyche, how terrible it was on our minds, how terrible it was and how hard and difficult that most of us were all going to fail. And I was like, wow, that was a two hours of gloom and doom. And at lunch, me and a couple of students went up to him and said, why did you tell us this story about how hard it is? Like, we're paying you money to make us better, not to tell us to get out. And he said, if two hours of me telling you how hard this is is going to make you get out of this industry, then you don't deserve to be in this industry at all. So it's something I think actors need to ask themselves. How much do I really want this? And how do I make myself the best that I can possibly be? Do you remember the actress Doris Roberts? She played the mother-in-law on Everybody Loves Raymond? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny is I know where she lived. She lived by an f- oh, old friend of mine, so I know, like, where her old house was before she passed away, yeah. So, brilliant. A friend of mine was casting a movie in L.A., and I just heard him on a podcast saying this story once, but I had heard it before. And he was casting a movie in L.A., and he cast her in the role. Well, didn't she have in her contract that it was a hard out by six o'clock on Wednesdays? And he was like, why are you having a hard out on Wednesdays at six o'clock? She goes, that's my scene study class night. Now you're talking about Doris Roberts, who is in her eighties, who's been in the industry for 60 years, who is Emmy award winning, Emmy nominated, going to not teach the scene study, to go take the scene study because she always wanted to grow as an actor. And it's stories like that that inspire me to work harder for my actors and work harder to get them roles. Because I have actors like that, that acting is their first priority. And I want them to be good. And the only way that they'll be good is if I'm good with them. And that's something that I think is huge too, because when I tell actors, like we, we get in just, and listen, I was one of these actors and I just wanted, I was like, any agent, I'll make it work. I just got to get an agent. It doesn't matter who they are. They just need to submit me and I'll get my foot in the door. And I think it's just so much more of a cohesive work environment than people realize for someone to be a good agent for a particular actor. Yes. And this is for actors out there. When you're going out there looking for an agent, really try and find somebody that's excited to take you on. Oh, yeah. God. Not just somebody that's trying to get numbers on their roster so they can throw everything at the the wall and see what sticks, right? I think there's some agents that work that way. And, And sometimes it works well. But Really be excited about somebody if you want to work with them. I I won't take on anybody I don't like because why would I want to help somebody I don't like? I want to be excited about a good person. My father always used to say, how can I fly like an eagle when I'm surrounded by turkeys? (laughs) And that was his way of insulting everybody at the office. (laughs) It's such a dad joke too. (laughs) Yeah, I look at it the other way around that I want to be surrounded by eagles so that I can become an eagle as well, right? So that we're all on the same trajectory. It's really important to find good people that you're excited about. And an actor should be excited about his agent, and the agent should be excited about his actor. And if an actor calls me, I might get myself in trouble here with some other agents, but if you're an actor and you email your agent or you call your agent and that agent has not responded to you within 24 hours, Get rid of that agent. That's disrespectful. Like, I try to get back to them that day. 
if it's later in the day, it's definitely the next day. But it's within 24 hours. If it happens over and over again, then yes. The agent should email you and say, hey, sorry, it was two days since I got, got back to this, but I had this issue that I was taking care of and I couldn't get to it. But yeah, let's talk about this, 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 and that, right? It's crazy that what you're saying, though, is revolutionary to so many people because there are a lot of, I'm going to say it, scammy agents and managers in this business who just collect people on a roster, like you said. And so many actors come to me and they're like, I have an agent. I don't really know them. I don't know anything about them. I signed with them to get auditions. They don't email me back. I can't get them on the phone. And I tell them, is this the person that you want to continue working for? Especially when they're not even getting you auditions. It's what you're saying is actually revolutionary to a lot of people. Yeah, and it's we're trying. We're trying to get our, our clients auditions. And sometimes more clients get more than others. But you know what? If you're not getting auditions, call your agent. Hey, why am I not getting enough auditions? And I'm more than happy to send a submission report to you. Say, this is what I've been submitting you for. I've been pushing you for this. Maybe we have to rethink of your pictures. Maybe we have to do new headshots because this is not working. And you know what? I'll even say to people, yeah, you're right. You're just not getting enough auditions with me. Maybe we have to try and find another agent for you. That's professional. Let's let me help you find a new agent, and I'll do that. Like I, there's a lot of agents here in Vancouver that I love that are great agents as well, and I'll I'll send it over. If someone's not right, I'll send it to one of my colleagues here at Lucas Talent, or I'll send it to one of my friends who works at another agency down the road. It's really about communicating with your agent, communicating with your actor, and being truthful. Like so many agents will get offended when you say, I'm not getting any auditions, send me your submission report. But you send them the submission report and an actor looks at it and says, oh my gosh, look, I had a hundred submissions in the last two months. It's only about me, not about my agent. Look how much he's worked for me. Now, there is a way that you should say it and there's a way that you shouldn't say it. You don't want to say, hey, my friend at this school is getting all these auditions and I'm not getting these auditions. You should be get- I should be getting the same. So you need to push me more. That's wrong. But when you say, hey, I haven't getting many auditions. I know it might be slow out there, but what is it that we can do to help that? Is there anything that you have in mind? Is there anything that you can recommend? And a lot of times I recommend classes. A lot of times I recommend patience. Yeah. We were talking about that before we started recording. You see me talking about that all the time and how much of a long game it really is. And that quick hit of wanting things to work right now, especially when most of the time, by the time someone signed with an agent, they've done a lot of groundwork already in their career. Sometimes not, but a lot of times, yes. And so by the time you finally get an agent, it's like, okay, great. I finally did the thing. Now everything's going to fall into place. And it's just a continuation of the work. It's so funny. Like you'll get a 20-year-old or 21, 22-year-old actor in the beginning of their career and after a year or two of auditioning, booked a few gigs. And then they say, oh, I really can't stand my day job anymore. I need to be making a living as an actor. And I'm like, You've been in this industry for two years. You're 21, 22 years old. Go get a day job. Yes, if that big role comes along and you get it, that's great. But the thing that I see around here, and there was another acting teacher that told me this too, was that 
the actors that we see nowadays that are working all the time, especially the older actors that are being very successful in their career, they might not have been the great actors in their acting schools or their conservatory programs back in the day or their synthetic classes. But I tell you what, they were the most patient. They were the hardest working. And they just kept on going. Some of the best actors I've seen that I've trained with that were in schools that I went to are principals, are accountants, are lawyers, and do community theater because they need to stoke that fire. But they needed that money, that living in their life, that stability that acting just doesn't bring. And the stability was their first priority. It wasn't the acting. Mm -hmm. It's such a hard line to toe. I'll tell you as someone who owns businesses now, which is a crazy sentence for me to say out loud. My favorite thing is when an audition comes in or when and like a script is in my inbox or anything like that, because my priorities become so clear. I know exactly what needs to be canceled, what needs to be like, I got a call back tomorrow. I just canceled three meetings in a row with clients and rescheduled them for different times because it just, it's just not a negotiable in my brain. It's just exactly where it goes. And that's the vibe you're talking about, right? Of like, you can have other jobs. Absolutely. And I highly recommend that you do because it's such a volatile industry, but knowing like, I love when acting comes into play because it just makes everything so it cl like crystallizes the clear picture for me in such a perfect way. Totally. Now I just want to go back to that. Like the acting being your first priority, that's always important and don't make it your life. I really stress that you have people in your life that are not part of the acting community because it keeps you real. It keeps you grounded. Yeah. My, my friends growing up were really happy when I booked a role, but after I told them I booked it and did it, it was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> now we move on to this, right? And do activities that you don't have to be in scene study class or acting class or on camera class. You can be in a mixed martial arts class or karate class or kung fu class or yoga, basket weaving. I don't care. You're out there doing stuff. And trust me, you're building your life experience with every one of these different stuff that you do that you can go back and draw on that you can bring to that audition that nobody else will. Oh God, it's so true. And we touched on something earlier that I want to pull us back to in terms of branching out and meeting new people, the word of networking. And I want to make sure we talk about this because you and I were oh, talking yeah. a little bit before we started. Speaking of meeting people and expanding your horizons and all of that, we were also thinking about networking with agents. And you said you just came off of a networking event that left you with some cringe. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, it left me with some cringe, but it also left me with some great memories. So I would advise an actor, especially a new actor or an actor that's looking for a new agent. If you're at a networking event, take advantage of it. And when I say networking event, if it's a film industry event and everything, take advantage of meeting people and talking to people and stuff like that. But if you meet an agent, it's probably not best to say, oh, you're an agent. Oh, great. I'm looking for a new agent. Are you accepting new people? Because agents say they're not accepting new people. That's bullshit. If the right person comes across at any time, we will totally accept a new person. We want to be there and have a good time and meet as many people as we can as well. So it's great when you meet somebody like a director or an agent or a producer and just talk to them about the event. 
talk to them about themselves, talk to them about how their day is going. If you get the chance to get into a conversation with them. Now you've got that. If you're really interested in wanting to go to that agent or that director or that producer later in the future, you've built that relationship. For example, if I met somebody who's an actor and I don't know that they're looking for a new agent, but they are, build that relationship with me at the party. And then on Monday or Tuesday during office hours, send me that email or send me that cover letter with you saying, hey, I met you at the Crazy Eights event. We were talking about this, this and that. Hope you remember me. I really like that you like this film. It was one of my favorite as well. I'm in the mood. I'm looking for an agent. This is my materials. Hope I can talk to you in the future. It's such a less evasive way of approaching somebody and networking. I call myself a schmoozer. I, you know, I, I'm an agent. I think all agents have to be schmoozers. I hate the word schmoozing because it comes off inauthentic, not unauthentic. What's the word? Inauthentic? Not authentic. Yeah, inauthentic. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but really, when you go to a party and when I go to a party anyways, I really want to hear what the people are up to. I don't want to hear about how many days you just had on set. I don't want to know about your resume. I can look at your resume. I want to know about later down the road. I want to know about, about your life, who you are. That's what draws me to people, right? And it's authentic. You want to be authentic. And actors should know the difference between authentic and not authentic. Because that's what the actors are striving to do in front of the camera, is finding the authenticity of the lines finding the authenticity of the world that they are creating in front of that camera. Even if it's in front of a blue screen, they got to find authenticity. They should find that in life as well as in front of the camera. That's such good advice too. And it just makes everything, nobody wants to be like sold to when they're out. Like you're not, you're not, it's like you're off the clock. Like don't, it's like, it's like asking someone if they want to buy into your MLM while you're at a party. Like nobody wants that. We didn't come here for that. Networking is just such a beautiful, it's a terrible term for the name create relationships. And once again, going back to what you said about patience, the long term of this business is all patience in relationships casting producers, directors, agents, all, all, but in terms of patience too, I want to wrap us up with the current timeline, which is we're recording this on the April 18th, the WGA writers in the U S voted to okay a strike. They didn't strike. They voted that if they had to, they will, they're happy to. And 80% of them showed up to vote, which is like, or like 78%, which is really cool. And I'm curious how you think that would affect the Canadian market and what you see coming down the pipe for you guys. Well, I think it's going to affect Vancouver probably more so than other parts of Canada. Vancouver is very service orientated. Yeah, we do create some of our own stuff and we do have some Canadian projects. Our Canadian projects won't be affected as much. The Writers Guild of Canada have settled. So our Canadian writers will be able to write and the productions will still be going on. But all the American service projects that come up here, that will be a little bit tougher on us. And we're going to we're gonna see a slowdown. But like I said, it's a slowdown that maybe gives us some time to catch our breath. We want to look at the positivity of every negative side and how we can go through it. I think it, we're going to see something. But the other good thing, too, is that when it's over, it's going to come back really strong again. Right. We're going to come back. Always yeah. does. Always. And 
when it comes back, I think more people are going to be happy. More people happy. Like, who wants to go to a set where people are unhappy? And it all starts from the top to the bottom, right? It starts at the top. I used to direct theater. I think the director's main job is to make sure everybody is happy, right? And then you get the best work out of people when they're always happy, too. And I tell actors, these poor actors, sometimes they get so disgruntled and so upset about the industry and i'm like maybe this industry's not right not right for you if it's going to bring you this much pain go somewhere else i had a producer tell me he goes it's called a screen play not a screen pain not a screen work it's called a screen play let's go out and play yeah sometimes i think we forget it's a privilege just to be able to submit yourself for the opportunity of this work and not just to book it so yeah you know this industry is blessed like i i just again actors producers directors we get to tell stories you guys get to tell stories and stories that can not only entertain but can even change people's lives and where else can you do that it's just a great industry to be in and there's so many great people in this industry and there's some people that aren't so great but you know what stay away yeah, from them you you figure it out just stay away from you figure people. it out don't make it about me make it about we that's what i like telling my actors and it's it's that it's that way too when you approach a scene what does this line make me feel why is this actor saying this to me and how does that line that they say say it to me and how do i react back to it right the reaction I love that saying. I'm going to put it in my pocket and take it with me. And I want to ask you one more question because I really like how you view this world. What are you watching right now? What shows are you really enjoying? Oh, my gosh. I am enjoying Succession. Oh, it's so good this season, right? Oh, good. Oh, and I'm not even going to talk about episode three because there's two. There's a spoiler in there that nobody's going to hate me if they haven't watched it yet. But episode three was just amazing not only the acting but the writing and how they built up to what it was and how they took that yeah speaking of the point of writers they keep writers on set for that show which not every show does anymore and you can tell because it's punched up perfectly yeah and the other thing that i just enjoyed watching that just ended just a little while ago the last of us oh it was brilliant and i used to i used to be a big fan of the walking dead but the last of us zombies they scared the living shit out of me. They make the living dead zombies, the walking dead zombies look like Snow White. Those, these, uh, these, the last one. And what I'm really excited about is that next season, rumors are, or actually it's being confirmed that The Last of Us will be shooting in Vancouver. Oh, because they shot in Calgary, right? For the first season. And you know what? It's funny because as soon as the news came out that it's shooting in Vancouver, all my actors came out and said, Hey, I want to be on this show. I want to be on this show. And and I'm like, you don't need to tell your agent that because we want you to be on every show too. Right? Yes. So you don't need to tell us that, but I'm glad that you're a fan. Yes, I want you to be on that show too. But it's shot in Calgary and the majority of their actors that they got for Calgary that season were from LA and Vancouver. So they had a budget where they were allowed to pay for people out of province. And some of the one-liners and background and all that kind of stuff they were hired out of calgary but we had auditions for it i had a lot of actors audition for that project in season one so 
I'm hoping that it's going to go even more so in season yes. two. Yes. Oh, I look forward to seeing your actors on season two, almost as much as I look forward to season two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So those are the two shows that I'm Oh, wait. Barry just came back. Yeah. What a trip, right? That show is like, I'm like, this is not even a comedy anymore, but I'm so invested. Totally. And what a arc. And this is something actors got to think about, too, even when they're doing a one-liner or a two-liner or a small role when they're auditioning. What is the arc of that character in the scene? A one-liner actor has an arc. It might not be as blatant as the guest star, but it still has an arc. It starts somewhere and ends somewhere else. And the arc on Barry from season one to this season is totally gone in a different direction. <laughs> it's great. It's if you showed me an episode of season three and I was watching season one, I would have been like, what? I have no idea where they're going to land this plane, but I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Emilio, yeah. this was so, I could talk about this stuff obviously with you continuously. So we'll have to put a pin in it until I fly up there and we can go to lunch. Sounds but good. this has been, I'll trust your taste in restaurants too. Cause you know, obviously <laughs> you know what you're doing. We'll find something good. All right. You've got to <laughs> tell me where to go to next time I'm in LA meeting with the managers or, or agents that I get work with down there. So deal. I'll take you to lunch when you come to well, LA. How about that? Lunch, but we'll start you're, here. Uh, you're, 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 tell me where to go and you can join us. Deal. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Do you guys have any, do you have anything you want to direct people to projects, social media, a website? If any Canadian actors are listening to this and are like, I really like him. I'd like to submit my stuff. Are you accepting submissions? Yeah, you can go to our, our website, lucastalent.com. That'll have our submissions, what we look for in submissions and how to submit to the agency. Lucas Talent Inc. on Instagram. It talks about our successes, our client successes. And I love talking about my client successes on Lucas Agent ES. That's me. I'll post when my actors book stuff or I'll post maybe an interesting Instagram from uh, One Broke Actress, which I love, by the way. It's so inspirational. Your Instagram is what brought me to your podcast. And it's sometimes I want you to come up here and tell all my actors what you're telling them on Instagram. It's, it's very informational, very aspirational as well. So aspirational, is that a word? Thank you. Inspirational? Yeah, yeah. for sure. So... The Lucas Talent has been in this industry for longer than I was an actor. And I remember being a young actor and always thinking to myself, when I get to be a good actor, I want to be represented by Lucas Talent. They were one of the first agencies wow. in Vancouver. They started off right after Expo 86. So it was 1986 is when they were founded through Richard Lucas. We have great group of agents here in the office and what's great is that we all are like-minded and we all work well together we all have the same kind of sense of humor even though i think i annoy people more than they annoy me sometimes and we are a full service agency here we have a background division we have seven or eight theatrical agents we have literary agent that represents directors, producers, writers, editors, and we have a voiceover agent as well. We have one of our agents handles just voiceover work. So we're full service. We try to provide a good service. We're only as good as our reputation. That's how we try to act and work in the industry. So. Well, you can tell we've heard nothing but good things. And I'm, I'm so happy to have had you on the podcast today. I really thank you so much for your time. I know it's very valuable. So I appreciate you being here. Sam, this is my favorite people. 
I, I know like four or five Sams and your guys are all my favorites. So it was nice to finally meet you in person and chat with you. And I look forward to chatting with you further again. And thank you for inviting me. I'm honored and humbled. I'm so glad you came.